Bible with me, if you would, this morning, the book of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3. I, I want to do something starting this morning concerning a foundation that you will need for the rest of your life. Y'all believe, y'all know that it's the will of God for us to be healed of everything. I appreciate the testimony about chronic this morning, uh, that, that, that stronghold that's been assailed, assailing you in your life over and over, never moving, even intensifying, has got to go. Chronic's got to go. Uh, we ministered on a few weeks ago about chronic, how it, uh, it stays in them that have not. The word says them that have not even uh, to, to them that have not even that which they think they have will be taken away. Yay. And them that have, that's us, shall more be given and shall have an abundance. So I want to I follow that train. And uh, we used to say, we used to say that uh, concerning faith, faith comes by hearing, not by having heard. And that's true based on Romans uh, 10, 17. But on the other hand, I've been meditating on that, that there's a certain amount of residue that comes from having heard that sets us up to walk out our life in faith. And the foundation for receiving from God is qualifying. All of us this morning, we would say, I know that it's God's will to heal. All of us would say that. We wouldn't qualify that and say, except this and maybe not that. We know it's his will to bless us, to supply us, to fund us. That he's, we've never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed begging for bread. So we know that. But qualifying is the challenge for Christians. We are easily able to lay hands on the sick and expect them to be healed. But that's because we pre-qualify them. God loves you. Doesn't matter what you've done. God loves you and he's going to heal you when I lay hands on you. We find that very easy. But when it comes to receiving for ourselves, then our, our head kicks in. Doggone that stinking head trying to stick its business in our business. And so we think about or we are reminded by demonic forces or just our experience, condemnation, that there might be a reason that we won't receive. And then when it doesn't come immediately, Deborah told me this morning, she said, you know, we all need to know the difference between a miracle and healing. Miracles are instants. Healings are not. No one ever goes into the doctor's office and he just lays hands on you or gives you a pill and watches you take it. And you go, oh, that did it, doctor. No, no, no other need to, to stay here. I got it. We all know it, it takes time. So sometimes people discount that they got anything based on how they feel and time. So we need a foundation to qualify so that even though we feel good about uh, God's mercy and grace towards other people and we're willing to minister to them, we, don't want to say, we, don't, we never say, let me hear your story to see if you qualify. You know, did you do that twice or just once? Okay, well, we can do this then if it's just once. We never go there, but for ourselves, we go there often. And we pre-qualify ourselves, we pre-disqualify ourselves. And so I, it came to me, and I, I see it now. Before we go into a healing series, we need to go into a God Loves Me Very Much series. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. God is very much in love with me. Say it with me. God is very much in love with me. Let's do it again. God is very much in love with me. Now we get it. We say God loves me. We can handle that. But when we say God is very much in love with me right now, we sometimes stop. We balk. We, we back up because we would like to straighten up a few things. He, 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 I can fix it. I hadn't fixed it. I got unforgiveness. I got this. I got a mess in my life here over here. But I can promise to fix it. And then the Lord will be very much in love with me right then. 
So right now is the question. We need to be able to on demand. You know, that's how they do TV now. You can punch in your deal and watch a movie. You can watch Rambo and you, you don't have to wait till it comes on eight o'clock on Tuesday night. You can hit the button and boom, Rambo is on. Deborah never impressed when Rambo is on. <laughs> so uh, then we were singing a song this morning and I realized how willing we are to love God, but how, how reticent we are often to let him love us. Oh God, I love you. Well, that's, that's, that's cheap, or it could be. You can say anything, can't you? You've said it to your enemies. Good to see you, you sorry buzzard bait. <laughs> Uh, yeah, buzzard bait, vulture breath. That's, that's the other thing, we, you vulture breath. Oh, good to see you. So we are real willing to negotiate uh, what we say, irrespective of what's really going on inside. And so that dishonesty or that dual feeling, the outside which is social, the inside which is true, Keeps us from getting healed on demand. Say on demand. On demand. On demand. And don't y'all know, we all know that it's God's will to heal us, to bless us, to save us, to deliver us. When we speak the word in a conversational tone the first time. Conversational tone one time. That's the way you're supposed to raise your kids. You just tell them No in a conversational tone. And then if they say, but, or whatever, then, then the sky falls. So you don't have a yelling match with your kid. You just tell them, I, we're not gonna do that in a conversational tone. And that's the end of it. And that's the way that, believe it or not, that's the way we raised ours. If, if, you, ha if you question it, the world as you know it is going to change. Life as you know it is going to be different because we said it, that we meant it. You mean what you say, you say what you mean, and that's the end of it. And so if we would be that way with the Lord, that if he tells us something one time in a conversational tone, we believe it, we act on it, we get it. So in John verse, chapter 3, verse 16, you know the verse, but we'll read it together. Verse 16 and 17, ready, read. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that marvelous? And so uh, uh, God said, I've got it covered. I took care of it. It's, it's done. For God so, when, when the word says there, for God so, it's implying the result of what he did is going to bring a result or a change, a transformation in your life. For God so loved that he gave, then what that action did is played out in our life. He did that so we can do this. What he did had impact in our life. And if we don't know that or if we don't act on that, then it was useless and there's nothing there. So people have lots of trouble with God saying that he loved the whole world. They, you've heard it. They, you've heard them say, well, how could God let this happen? If God's a loving God, how could a loving God let this happen in my life? My son died. I lost my job. My husband was killed or, or whatever terrible thing that happens in life then that's the next step. They say, how could God let this happen? If he really loved me or loved anybody, he couldn't let this happen. Therefore, and it's what comes after the therefore that changes your life. They say things uh, like someone that's watching their house burn down and, and uh, uh, something terrible was left in the house, something good. And they say, I'll never get over this. Have y'all heard this in where they say, I'll never get over this. 
my child died or, or something happened. I'll never get over this. And those are very impacting words. And they go forward in your life. They're not just like I said it, but it doesn't mean it. When we say words like that, we put our whole thing into it, our whole life into it, and we solidify it right there. And that is what guides and limits our life from that point forward. So uh, love moves everything in our life. Love is the most compelling power there is because God is love. So love, so love the world. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So I'm going to say, I'm going to just put this out there and let y'all uh, agree with me if you can. The church knows little more about the love of God than the world. If you go, not, not talking about here, of course, but if you talk to people that are Christians, pro profess it, proclaim it, uh, affiliate with a, a, a group of Christians in the church, you'll find that they know very little more love about love, the, the love of God, than someone that doesn't know God. They're the ones that'll ask the question, if God really loved me, why would he allow this to happen? They don't read their Bibles. They don't know what the Bible says about God. So they're able to say those statements. So uh, there's no faith inside of them to discern or to measure God's love towards them. If they don't read their Bible, how would they know? It would be by experience. Well, this is a pretty rough old world to live in and not know some things from the word of God. So clergy, I pretty much despise the general clergy. I hate to be affiliated with that. I hate the word reverend. I just despise that word. Please never, 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 never let me be in the room that that's associated with me. But clergy pretty much uh, has substituted fear and judgment out of a selfish motive trying to keep people in chained to depend on them or the church. And it's almost always financial. But, of course, there's attendance things and stuff. The other day, uh, you know, I, I mark people off so fast. But I met someone the other day and they knew what I did. And the, the next question they ask is, and this is it, how many are you running? And it's the, it's, the, it's the measure. That's how they measure a pastor is how many are you running? If you've if you got a bunch, you're good. And if you don't, well, we're, we're through, basically. They're through. They might go a little longer, but they don't want to talk about it. So they get people to do right by substituting judgment or fear for the love of God, especially in the Catholic church or a church like that that's based on works. There's other ones. That they say, they say that you don't know if you're born again, that you're going to heaven until you die. So there's judgment there. Everything's based on works. And there's always the line. A Jehovah Witness came up to my house the other day and wanted to converse. And you could tell it was all about the end times. It wasn't about my life now. It was all about the 144,000 and about what's going to happen when this world blows up. Do you agree, sir, the world's about to blow up and it's going bad and, and this, that, and the other. So it's all based on judgment. It's all based on what are you doing in your life to come out on the other side of judgment on a high place. What are you doing? Are you doing the right thing? You don't you don't want to be caught going to hell because you didn't know. So uh, they, the pulpits are full of sin. They talk about sin. And so where are you on this imaginary line? Are you on top or on bottom? Where's the line? Well, we don't know the line. You just have to, you just have to do the best you can and hope that you come out on the other side. That what you did was enough to just barely put you over. Isn't that a terrible thing to live under? I think you could just about live under the world and than that. So uh, when God does do good things, and we have testimony this morning that God's doing good things, but the good things that God does do are parlayed into luck. I pray for people, and uh, if, uh, if it doesn't go their way, then... God didn't do anything, but if it did go their way, if it is exactly how I prayed, 
then it says, isn't that good luck? Isn't that, a, isn't that an amazing thing that it turned that way? They don't give God the credit. It was luck or chance or happenstance. I'm just trying to, y'all relate to this and agree with this. So get, God gets the blame for everything that's bad, even though there's a real devil. You talk to people that says, you know, that God's, God gets the blame for everything, but they never think about that there's a real devil and that uh, the devil's pretty much in charge of everything that happens in their life. I have found that the church has turned into something social. It's just where people gather and people would not gather if it wasn't for the social aspect. So that's why online doesn't do as well as it should is because people are interested in the social aspect. In Romans chapter 2, would you turn there with me? I would just, wait just a second. Hold right there. I want to read the Amplified. I'm sorry. I, I forgot that. John 3, 16 in the Amplified says, for, so, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. I like that. The multiple choice version. God greatly loved and dearly prized the world that he even, even, he even gave up his only begotten and unique son. Why? So that whosoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on him, shall not perish, come to destruction, be lost, but have, have, but have eternal everlasting life. Amen. Now let's just get it straight here. We'll just, since we're on John 3, 16, let's define the word eternal life. It's not parlayed right. It's not rendered right in the, in the King James. It's the word anionis is zoe. And it means the word is eternal and the word is life. The word zoe is the life of God. Zoe is God, how, is, is life as God lives it. So when we say that we'll have eternal life, it implies that it's a long term situation that if you go with God and that if you don't go with God, well, then it's not a long term situation. But actually, we will never die. We will never cease to exist, I should say. So when it says in John three sixteen, but have everlasting life, the render should be, but have the life of the everlasting so everyone's going to exist forever. Hell's full of people that will never leave that terrible place. So we have the life of the everlasting one, the one who does live forever. We have his life. So it's a little bit different there. Romans chapter two. Now I want to caution you to not think that you are already endued with all the knowledge and understanding about the love of God. God loves me and you go, I get it. That's enough. Why are we going through this? Because it's not true. You don't know. We only know, like Pam was saying earlier, we know from a mental ascent that God loves me. But in practice, we demonstrate what we really believe. So if we don't operate like God loves me, if there's any guilt at any time, we have slipped that God loves me right now. Condemnation and the love of God cannot coexist. So if there's guilt or condemnation or shame, we don't know the love of God. But it says in Romans chapter 2, let's look in verse 24. This is quite a startling verse. Uh, let's see where we are. 24... Let's go back to 23. Let's go back to 22. Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, dost thou commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, dost thou commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? And then here's the verse. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. For as it is written, for circumcised, it goes on and say how it's written. But the point is, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you. Notice it didn't say through the devil or through the world. It said the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles, the unbelievers, 
because of you. Do y'all know there's hardly anything that uh, we despise more than the hypocrite? The hypocrite. The word hypocrite means, uh, I looked it up in the Amplified. Uh, well, let's see what it says in the Amplified. Oh, I didn't write it down. So it mean, But it, what it means is to put on the mask. A hypocrite puts on the mask. It has to do with someone that's in a drama or a play that uh, they're acting. The hypocrite is that word. It's not real. So when we put on the hypocrite, we're acting as if we're not real. The Amplified here says, you who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law, by stealthily infringing upon or carelessly neglecting or openly breaking it? He said, are you a hypocrite? You stand against those that break the law, but you're a lawbreaker. For, as it is written, the name of God is maligned and blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So for all our witnessing and testifying about the goodness of God and how he's delivered us, he said, when they catch you in a raw moment, when they catch you like you really are, when they catch you out of evangelism mode, they know who you really are and they know what you really stand for. Paul said the heathen blaspheme God because of you. That's a terrible indictment, isn't it? But would you all agree with me? It's true. I don't know how many times you and I have heard about someone that's been offended by someone in the church, either a deacon or a elder or a apostle, certainly a pastor, or they just say a Christian. Well, I know a man and he claims to be a Christian and he goes down to first church and he did this. And I always tell my story about a deacon in the church I attended uh, that I went next to his pickup in Hobbs, New Mexico. And it was a wet county and uh, Gaines County where I lived was a dry county. And and he had a six pack on his front front seat of his pickup. And I knew it was him. I knew it was there. So. It it messed me up. I had to get past it. I had to I had to stop and say, what about this? There he is doing this in church and doing that. And he's he's in the holy convocation over here making decisions for the church. And there he is. Now, it's not even that drinking beer or, or whatever is evil. I'm not even saying it's evil. But in our society, we do have a slant about people that are leaders in the church drinking. It's really about drunkenness. It's really not about drinking. But since there's that connotation in our culture... The word says if, if someone's offended by you eating meat that's sacrificed to idols, said, put it down. Don't do it. It's like, well, it's, it's nothing. There's, the idols are nothing and the meat to them is nothing. Yeah, but you're going to cause a stumbling over here. So we don't drink wine and we don't drink beer and we don't drink other stuff like that because not because it's evil in God, although the word does say in Proverbs that wine is a mocker. Wine is a mocker. So we just say, you know, that's just something that I would enjoy. And I personally have said to people, I, I'm a fruit juice drinker, so I probably would enjoy that if I was just in the world and didn't know God. But I don't touch it. I've never touched it. And we should not because it is a mocker and it is a poor testimony. You go, well, what difference does it make? It Not to God, it doesn't make any unless you get drunk and then, then it mocks you. It mocks God. But it doesn't matter. But because of our culture. Now, if you go over to Germany and you don't drink beer, you're going to get thirsty because that's all they have. They don't have water in Germany. It's it's a part of their culture. Am I right? Beer is like water over there. And we even know in the society of Jesus that it was. Uh, it was uh, common in some cultures uh, for women to show their ankles is considered like sensual and, 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 you know, and you were going, what, what? Well, it's their culture and you can, you can do any part of the body or any part of culture. You can sexualize it or sensualize it and make it where it's unacceptable. And that becomes a part of the law of conduct in your life. And a Christian, we want to live above it. 
We just don't want our testimony to be negated by those sort of things because it doesn't matter. And, you know, the Muslims, they they cover up the, the face and everything like that. It seems bizarre based on our culture, but it's it's really not. So we have a culture in in America that we live by. There's things in the word that tell us do not do that. And that applies to everybody. But then there's some things that are just left up to our culture. So uh, the church majors on, I says majors on telling sinners that they are sinners. They love to identify sinners as sinners. And that makes them elitist. That makes them special. That makes them above. And especially in times past. But they were all hypocrites. Have you ever seen the movie uh, The Scarlet Letter? You know, you go, that's that's the ultimate hypocrite where the the priest got up and would preach about adultery, but he was involved with a moment, a woman in the church, you know, and, and all of that. Uh, turn or burn. That's what they that's what we say is the label for churches that just preach on the clothesline or preach on sin generally. Uh, tell you what. Sinners already know they're sinners. You don't have to tell them. There might be some that are really like that, the, the coexist people, or I was born right the first time people. But even then, they don't know. There's hardly ever a man on his deathbed that shook his fist at God as he was leaving this world. They're not that tough. <laughs> they are not sure that there is no judgment. Even the woman that was caught in adultery in the Bible. Y'all remember what Jesus addressed her as? He said, woman. There was no distinction. There was no characterization uh, about her. He just called her woman. So the kingdom does not distinguish in those things. Uh, would y'all agree with me that God wants a relationship with man more than anything? For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his only begotten son so that he would have other begotten sons. He wants a relationship. But man is afraid of a relationship with God. Remember in the word where it talks about uh, uh, God said, come up here uh, to the mountain. And the mountain started quaking and trembling and everything. And the people were afraid. And they said, Moses, you go in. You go in and you talk to God. We'll be out here. You tell us what he said. So we are afraid of a relationship with God, generally speaking. In John chapter 15, we find out how much God loves us. How does God love us? What is the measure of his love? In other words, how far would he go? Gentlemen, would you give your life for your children? Well, of course we would. If it was us or them, we would run into the burning house. We would, we would take the bullet that was aimed at our child. But would you give your life for your wife? Well, these are my kids. You know, they came out of me. They're, 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 they're mine, but her, she, we just stood up together one day and said, I will if you will. Yeah. And so you, have, you can tell by divorce rates. They don't get rid of their kids. They get rid of their husband or their wife. Because things change. And after all, we're, we're just married not understanding that. Well, how much does God love us? John 15, 9 says, uh, as the father hath loved me. Mine's in red letter. How about yours? Jesus said, as the father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. The passion version says, I love each of you with the same love that the father loves me. I love you just like he loves me. Now, how many y'all know that's tapped out the kingdom? They're, they're the, God loves Jesus. We, we would agree he loves him. So he said, so it's not enough to just say God loves me, but we have to be able to say God loves me right now. As is. As is. No chance to clean up. No chance. I, I, it's okay, but I, I can do better. No. Nope. Today's the day of judgment. Today's the day you get analyzed. Today's the day everything's on the table. What you got is what you got. And if you don't have it, it's not enough. Well, God loves you anyway. And that's so powerful. Luke chapter 11. Would you turn there with me? Let's just bounce around a few scriptures here. 
and straighten out anything that was uh, straying off out of the off of the ranch. Any cattle that are straying off. Let's go do a roundup and get them back in the fold. Chapter 11, verse 13. The Lord Jesus again. Let's well, let's. Let's let's go up to 11. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father. Will he give him a stone or if he asketh a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he should ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then being evil, unbelieving. How know how and if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask it? And he was cast as he was casting out a devil and it was dumb. It came to pass when the devil had gone out, the people, the dumb spake and the people wondered. But some of them said he cast that devil through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said, every kingdom divided against himself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falleth. I see that's where I am. Thirteen. Yes, that's where I am. So the hypocrite. The hypocrite is the one I found the word here. It is a play actor. The word is play actor. And we, we all know what that looks like. Because we've all been there. When I was growing up, I didn't. My mother would holler at me a lot. And I started pretending I was deaf. And I would ignore and I would just lie. I just lied and said, I didn't hear you. And I took it to school and said, I, I didn't hear you. I, I don't know. It's a crazy little fifth grader stage I went through. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm hoping that I got through it. Praise God. We've all been hypocrites. We've all been dishonest. Where we pretended not to understand because we needed time to access a answer or a, a, a reply in our head. And so we just like, what? I don't understand. And, and it's dishonest. We've all been dishonest. And it's, all, it's always hurt us. It's always delayed us. It's always limited us. The word washing over our soul brings an honesty because it's truth and we want to align and affiliate with the truth. And so we begin to tell the truth even when the truth hurts. To our own hurt, we tell the truth. To our own demise, we tell the truth. Uh, one time I went to my pastor. Uh, I had a man that was, I called him pastor in West Texas. And I was young in the ministry. And I went to him and I said, I need an appointment. And I said, uh, I don't know, Pastor Don. I'm just, I'm not hungry for the word like I used to be. And I'm just having a hard time staying focused on these things. I want you to pray for me. So he did. And, and it was hypocritical of what he did to me because I found out later that he had been through some things like that. But he never, he never would let me come around after that. I was weak. I was little. I was not worthy. But I had been honest. And so it divided me from him because I had been honest. Well, it turned out okay. Honesty always turns out okay because the truth always wins. Uh, let's go back to Luke chapter 6. Let's go back to Luke chapter 6 verse. I love this verse. We're just, we're just gathering up the strays this morning. We'll, we'll line it out, but let's, let's just assault everything that says, you know, God likes me real good, but he could do better. And I want to tell you from the word of God this morning, he could not do better. We could do better. It says in verse, uh, let's see, where could we go back to? Okay, verse 31. As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. What do we call that? Golden rule. 
And if you love them which love you, uh-oh, what thank have ye? For sinners also love them, or those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners, unbelievers, also do even the same. And if you lend of those which ye hope to receive, it's a business deal. What thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies. Say enemies. 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 Love your enemies. Now, it's easy to say. But in the heat of it. In the contemplation of it. In the rehearsal of what they did to become your enemies. There's no way. There ain't no way. We can put on a show. We can fake it. We can act cordial and polite. But we're not having any of it. But he said, love ye your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And then he tells it. Ye shall be children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Why would he put that in there? Why would the Lord Jesus talk about the Lord being kind unto the unthankful and to the evil? He's talking about the hypocrite there. He's saying, you ought to do it because I do it. I do it. And so here's a law that we have to go to. Everything that's in the word that the Lord directed at us to live, he has to live it first. The Lord has to forgive. He has to be kind unto the unthankful. I've been unthankful. At times, not not mean, unthankful, just busy with me. And not busy with you. And he's kind to the unthankful and to the evil. He said, this is how God operates. This is his standard. You reckon he gets to practice it much? You reckon people are unkind and evil and he's having to go to that mode? I would say probably so. His audience were not born again. The people in this uh, gospel were not born again. So what he was telling them was impossible. In another place, Peter asked him, how many times should we forgive? Seven times. And then he said, seven times. Then the Lord said seven times seven, which was 70. Yes, ma'am. 490 times, which was an impossible term because they weren't born again. And so they could not forgive anybody. They were carnal. It was a tooth for a tooth and a, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, wasn't it? That's how they lived. But the truth is, and we'll get this going, God's not mad at anybody. Let's say it together. God's not mad at anybody. Now, that's what you got to get out of this this morning. He's not mad at anybody. Now, I've, I've been mad at plenty. You holy things out there saying, uh, what is wrong with him? He's not even working against the evil. He's not even saying, well, you know, if it comes down to the two, I'm going to I'm going to pick my boy. And you're you're no, you hadn't been acting nice. Uh, he people that deny him. Listen and curse him. And we know who those people are. He loves them like he loves me. And he loves you. He loves them. He would do anything for them. He has done everything for them, but he is he's opening doors and making a way because it's the goodness of God that leads men to change. And so he's on it. Uh, who are God's enemies? The Lord talked about enemies. It's those that that teach that God is the source of their troubles. Well, the one thing you can get in trouble more than anything is attributing works to the Holy Spirit. That the devil's done. The Lord Jesus said, don't do it. He said, we're going to forgive everything. But we, we have a hard time in heaven forgiving people that say this evil thing, Holy Ghost did it. So we're not there. We're not even close to it. But we do need to know that attributing the works of God to the devil, the, excuse me, the works of the devil to God, uh, that's what will get you in trouble. So it's better to be neutral. 
God's good to me. No matter what it seems like, he's brought you the best solution that was possible that you would allow, that you would allow. It's not that it was the best that there was, but it's the best that we would allow because we set parameters. So we know in Romans 2, 4, it says it's the goodness of God, the, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God that leads men to repentance. Repentance is a word that means to turn around and go the other way. So for us to change, God did not whack on us and beat on us and withhold from us. He started putting good things in our path and we would notice it's going better than it should be. That's what he did with the prodigal. He was always father was always standing there waiting for son to come home. And when he did show up over the hill, he said, it is slaughtering time. It's gold ring time. It's it's sandal and robe time. It is a day to celebrate. That's what happens to you and I all the time. They don't thank God. People don't thank God because they are taught that God is sovereign on the earth. And so he didn't do anything. He didn't do anything for you. He's just in control of everything. And so there's no need in thanking him for the inevitable will of heaven on earth. In other words, he didn't do bad or good. It's just the way things are and you can't fight it. So uh, they've never been taught God is good. I, I got a letter this week from someone that, uh, that put on the bottom of it, God is good all the time. And that's true, and it is right, but it's so much more than that. You just have to know when you have to put that, you're pushing back on something that's pretty elementary. Um, I want to go to one more scripture, and that's in Ephesians chapter 3. God loves me all the time. God loves me right now. Ephesians chapter 3. Now, the scripture that we always talk about exceeding abundantly above is actually the, the end of the love chapter, one love chapter, in Ephesians chapter 3. Let's look in verse uh, 14. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for whom the home family in heaven and earth is named. He's bowing his knees, saying that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, his goodness, to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. Well, that's a good prayer to pray, isn't it? That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted, fixed and established, that ye being rooted and grounded, which is settled and stable, that ye might be rooted and grounded in love, the agape love of God, rooted and grounded in the agape love of God, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes understanding. And here he says it, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with the fullness of God. It's, we, we can't process that in our head. To be filled with the fullness of God. When you get God out there and say, who is he and what can he do? And I'm going to be filled with his fullness. There's a disconnect there. It's so impossible or so out of reach to think that we as mere humans, mere people, born of a man and a woman, just born in the earth, so fragile, so weak, so needy that we could be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a real faith stretcher, and it has to do with love. Uh, the word there, filled, means to fill to the full. It means to cause to abound, to furnish liberally. We're just getting the superlatives here. To complete to full measure, filled with the fullness of God, to be completed to the full measure with God, to consummate, to make complete, to render perfect, filled with the fullness of God, to carry through to the end. And then in verse 20, this is really what the verse is saying. Now unto him that's able to do that, to fill us with the fullness of God, 
able to do exceeding or abundantly above what we could ask. We can't get there in our head. You can't get there in your head. So it's not like, oh, I can see how that could happen. Nobody ever could or would. He said, according above all that you ask or think, but it's according to the power that worketh in us. So I have to pull out of my body or pull out of my soul and get in a place where I can only believe the word, only believe what he said about him and about me and about the transaction of love that he wants me. He's everything in my life. He is positioning me and positioning things in front of me that I would be filled with the fullness of God. What's God trying to do? Get him inside of us that we know it. What could you be limited to if you were filled with the fullness of God? We'd be unlimited. We'd be limitless. So he's got a good agenda. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. His goodness is saying, turn around, turn around, turn around. So I'm going to say this. No matter what you've done, well, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're doing, in your thought life, oh my, don't touch that. Whatever you've done in your past before you were born again, doesn't really matter. No matter what you've let somebody do to you or what you said to them when they did it, how you reacted in anger and revenge, a lot of revenge in our lives. Before we knew him, we were capable of revenge. And even if you didn't carry it out, you, you saw him die a terrible death. Not in this room. Well, I'm talking about the old man. Aren't we talking about the old man? Okay, maybe it's not you. Maybe, okay, broadcast. <laughs> you, you bad people. How about, how about that? So, uh, uh, no matter what we've done, no matter what we're doing, God loves us as much as we can be loved right now. There is no place where you and I can go. Here's the point. There's nothing you can do, nothing that you can quit doing that God said, finally, we're doing better. I can love you now full strength. It's not there. It's already here. He loves you as much as God can love Jesus, he loves you right now. Uh, that's, that's pretty big. It kind of stretches him out. Well, God can do anything he wants or he, you know, nothing's impossible to him. Well, really, the biggest thing that we could think about is how much does he love me right now? If you can do no wrong, if there's nothing you can do that'll separate you from the love of God, he never negotiates the love deal. We've all had this come up about people that we've seen in our life that really went over the edge. Some of them have been in this church and then went out and like Judas, jumped off the cliff. And you just got to know there's, there's got to be a line. There's got to be a line. And, and the, the, the soulish part of us says there's got to be a line for you. And the people that say that are always on this side of the line. Do y'all know when we judge other people, it's because we judge them on the good side from the good side of the line and say, y'all, y'all are on the other side of the line. But when in fact, we're all on the same side of the line and whatever we ha could judge someone else, we've already been judged there. The word says that. So faith is required. Faith is letting God love me. according to Jesus Christ. And that's a very, very challenging place to let God love you like God loves Jesus. Well, that's easy. He didn't do anything. Same love. It doesn't matter because I didn't do anything either. You didn't do anything either. The love of God washes away a multitude of sin. All of it. It's, it's amazing. So uh, faith, it takes faith. We have to stop 
and not react in our soul and say, God loves me right now. So I'm not going to list this. I'm not going to miss this moment of my life to go forward because I feel condemned. Boy, the devil wants to condemn us so he can make us stop on the track that we're on with the Lord. God loves me right now. I'm going to I'm going to let me let me quote that again. God is very much in love with me. I hope you write it down somewhere. God is very much in love with me. That is so powerful. Amen. So what could you do if you were not afraid? What could you do if you knew God loved you and he was going to back you no matter what happened? What's in tomorrow? What what could happen? It doesn't matter. He's on our side. He is like the he's like the little mama in the in the little dribblers basketball game or the little little league guys that are out there and the you know the kids this tall and the bats this tall. And uh, but mama or daddy is out there saying that's the man. That's the man. And when he fouls somebody or commits a penalty, you see that daddy walking out there. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. He's just, you know, he's just the consummate. You know, my kid didn't do it. Your kid was all over it, but my kid didn't do it. And we go, come on. Of course he did it. <laughs> we saw it. But yet the Lord's looking at us the same way. I don't touch it. So, Father, we thank you right now for you reminding us how much you love us. This is way big and we receive it by faith. We receive that we're being filled with the fullness of God. Right now, my life is being filled with the fullness of God. All the grace and goodness that you've sent to each one of us is your message of filling us with the fullness of God. So, Lord, we enlarge. We enlarge right now. We take the limits off. And Lord, we are sorry for the sin we've committed, but we give it up. The thought of it, the remembrance of it, the limitation of it. We give it up because you did. And if you're not thinking about it, Lord, we will not be greater than you by thinking about it. Thank you for forgiving each one of us, for, for forgiving me. Thank you, Lord, of just looking past it and saying, let's not pay attention to that. And Lord, letting us go, just letting us go as if we'd never sinned, because we know, Lord, according to the word, we have never sinned. The new man is sin free. So thank you, Lord, for forgiving us as if we'd never sinned. And we we take our place in the kingdom in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Well, knowing.